Hello, my friends. Welcome to Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. My name is Sean Arnold. I'm here with my friend Jeff Marker, um, the department chair of the Communication, Media, and Journalism Department at the University of North Georgia. You've met him on the last episode where we were going to talk about The Last Jedi and then ended up having this amazing conversation about movies and video games and films and why people do stuff and cinematic universes and comics and all kinds of cool shit. So... <laughs> <laughs> you can tell two things from that previous episode. We we scripted nothing. And <laughs> this is why it only took sitting next to each other at one movie for us to become friends. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly right. I mean, because we could I could literally do that. That last episode could have been five hours long. Like I could yeah. just could have just kept talking. So so you're gonna have to come back. But this is specifically, you know, so the so the last Jedi, which is um, I guess technically episode eight. Um, of the weirdo, not sequential order of things in the Star Wars universe, um, has been released. Um, Jeff, you just saw it, what, yesterday? Last night. Last night, okay. Um, I saw it on the Monday prior. Um, I went to a screening that you didn't come to, jerk. And uh, I was homesick. You believe me, I, I wanted <laughs> to be there. Um, which was great. So there's obviously been so much... Um, conversation about it already and it's only been out you know i guess in the in mass release now for what four days or whatever <laughs> um yeah. not surprising um that this is the reaction um with a property like star wars which clearly is such a pop culture i, I mean i would even say almost in the world of film it's probably the single most expansive property like i like i'm trying to think of something that had that has that is started out as just a, a low budget, you know, sort of science fiction film that had this kind of effect on the world. I don't think it, there is any parallel. I mean, you have something you have you have some other movies that, you know, sort of started modestly and then obviously have gone on to um, to be ongoing franchises. But think of how many phrases, images, you know, objects like come from start the star Wars universe and virtually everybody, you know, is going to recognize that. Like who does not know what a lightsaber is, <laughs> right? Who, who doesn't know, may the force be with you. You know, I mean, I, I don't know that I could come up with anything that was originally a movie, at least that, uh, that has become what, what star Wars is in the culture. Sure. Right. So, so pivoting to specifically the last Jedi, I'm going to do my best to stay on point. Um, uh, that, uh, that kind of, um, reach and, you know, phenomena, if you want to call it that, um, obviously makes for incredibly passionate people that care about such things. (laughs) So before we start talking about bits and bytes, right, the reactions to this have just been crazy. Oh yeah. In, in multiple ways, crazy too. There, there are those who are upset because they did some new things with the force and I don't <laughs> want to spoil anything. I wouldn't dare spoil anything. Um, oh no, no, this I'm, is, this is spoilers. I'm going to, okay, I'm so going to, so I'm going to post this up. Like if you have not seen the movie, do not listen to this. Cause I want to get into like what happened. And so, okay. Right. So let it rip. We're, if you're listening to this, Spoiler alert, you damn well better have seen the movie because I'm going to dive all the way in. <laughs> well, okay, so let me make a couple of like blanket observations. Thing, things I don't understand about 
how some people have reacted. I don't understand how you can really love something, but not want it to evolve at all. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, shouldn't it grow? Have you never uh, met the I, Republican Party? I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> I'm Man, sorry. I know this isn't supposed to be politics. I'm really liberal. That's just a joke. If you're conservative and listening to this, relax. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Um, I don't know that I've ever met a fan base who believes that they own this the mm. way that the Star Wars fan base does too. Interesting. Like, how dare Ryan Johnson come along and and tinker with this thing that's ours? <laughs> wow, you know, I, I, and then really get pissed off about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and in part of this, I think you can't put it all in the fan base. Let's let's face it, George Lucas has, you know cause some of this in the past by messing with the films when they go to home video and Ugh. inserting Hayden Christensen and all those kinds of things. And, you know, there's a great doc, that great documentary, the people versus George Lucas. If you haven't seen it, yeah. uh, you know, check that out. Terrific. Plenty of good points in that film. Right. Um, and so I understand that that sort of backstory matters too, but I, I really don't understand some of these, these reactions, um, and I, it was uh, Sam Adams who has written for IndieWire and a bunch of other things. He's a, a critic that I respect a lot. He said, um, I'm old enough to remember when a fan was somebody who loved something. <laughs> because it, it's the way that people are talking about The Last Jedi. It's like, you really claim to love this franchise? You're really shitting on it, you know? And yeah, just yeah. really hateful stuff. And you, you, you claim to be really devoted to it so i don't i don't really that doesn't compute for me so some of it don't you think though it's kind of a culture of i mean let's be honest i mean th this is a i mean i don't want to have a philosophical conversation about this necessarily but um again i think the the internet itself has sort of given the advent of everyone has a voice right much more so than with well everyone had a voice before but with much more reach and there right. are just dissident, you know, like there are people that just feel like it's their job in life to basically just shit on anything and everything yep. they can shit on. And, you know, that's just, you know, it's just there's a lot of Oscar the Grouches in the world. And in the past, we didn't have to hear them because they live three towns over and now they show up on your Facebook feed. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Um, I don't know if these are people who just want to watch the world burn, but they want to criticize how the world is burning. You know, <laughs> um, you know, you could have burned it a whole lot faster if you'd have done this. You know, that kind of thing. And see, so, yeah, I don't really get that attitude either. And, and, you know, bear in mind, part of what I do is being a critic. And so if the critics don't understand why people are being hypercritical, um, that's, you know, that may be a sign that, that you need to calm down, you know, isn't it weird, though, that it's almost like, again, it's sort of the, um, uh, you know, I'm one of these ba balance guys, like everything, the world, your life, the universe is balance is really important. And uh, that almost that this is, I mean, clearly, if you sat down today, if you're J.K. Rowling or I'm trying to think of other properties that have reached like sort of extraordinary, you know, status. Um, superhero, you know, friend, you know, Marvel, the Marvel universe, um, whatever. Um, sure. <clears throat> probably not that you are chasing this, but in a world, it's like, how big could it get? Right. Like so big that people care about it so much 
that they do take ownership, right? To the level of if something doesn't go their way, even though they have no input effect or whatever in the creative process that they do. So it's almost a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because it's like, oh my God, these things are so successful and so popular that the reach on them is monstrous. I mean, again, just by ticket sales, but, but the, but the negative, the trade-off is, is that people are going to get like, no one's going to be happy because they do have this idea about what it's supposed to be. It is, it is this, uh, sort of contradictory place. People have, some of the fans have put them in on the one hand, you know, you remember you had the original trilogy and it seemed like my Lord, when will they ever make more star Wars movies? And we all wanted them so badly. Well, now they're making lots of them, you yeah. know, one every year or every other year. Well, guess what? Not all of them are going to be to your liking and you know, but isn't it really, really cool? that the next one might be <laughs> right. And we're going to keep evolving all of this. And, um, you know, I keep referring to my son, but, um, you know, this is another thing that we've talked about so very much. Um, you know, he's, so he's 12 now. And so the first theatrical star Wars release that he was old enough to go to was the force awakens. So, you know, we of course showed him the 1977 uh, Star Wars first because we're good parents, and because uh, <laughs> you're not a monster. <laughs> exactly. We didn't start with the Phantom Menace. So, but he did see all of those, and it's been interesting to watch all that develop because you know I was like most people, the Phantom Menace hit theaters, and we all just kind of went, huh, I don't know about that, and. Um, but then watching it in his eyes, he was Anakin, young Anakin's age when he first watched that movie. It's a whole different perspective you mm-hmm. know, for him. And I'll say this, too. In retrospect, um, I at least admire the fact that when they made those prequel movies, they were trying to tell a different story. When The Force Awakens came out, I was like, yeah, that sure was neat. That seemed like a Star Wars movie, but every scene seemed like I had seen it before, too. Yeah, it was kind of derivative. It really, really was. And so, you know, what exactly do you want from this franchise? You know, it's just just kind of figure that out and then then go with it. But for those fans who just repeatedly get mad every time one of these movies, they find a reason to be mad every time one of these new movies comes out. Maybe you should become a fan of something else. You know, <laughs> um, if if it just consistently aggravates you, then maybe you don't really love what it is anymore. Yeah, if you're not finding joy in it, like what's the point, right? Exactly. And, and in exactly. the and, and in the in the you're damned if you do, damned if you don't theme. I mean, yeah, that was like the people that were so mad about Force Awakens were like, oh, it's just a New Hope with a you know with different people. And then, and then this one is not at all derivative no. of Empire, right, or anything for that matter. And now it's just like, what are you doing, man? This is so out. This has got nothing to do like with anything. Right. It's like, well, what do you want? Like you were the same people that were mad. It was, you know, it, it felt a lot of reskin, you know, the first time, and now this is radically departed from the other, right. and you don't like that either. So what is it you want? Like I don't know. What can I do for you? Like Jesus, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, I mean, I was I was sort of generally just okay with the with the Force Awakens, but you know, when when we took our son to see that movie, one of the coolest parts is that we were sitting in a movie theater. It got all dark, and then oh. once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away came up, and I got a little misty because there I am next to my son, getting to you know show him this thing. Um, 
you know, when this is a franchise that's been part of my life since it first came out. I first saw that movie at the drive-in on a perfectly starry night, you know, when I was eight years old. You know, it's kind of the ideal way to see um, that that Star Wars. And so at this point, it's been in the culture so long that, you know, can we all just sort of appreciate what a history we have with, with this? And, and sure, there are things that you don't like about it, but they didn't fundamentally change the meaning of, of the Force. They didn't fundamentally change anything about the franchise, really. They only extended what was already there. Yeah. And so <clears> – Erg. <throat> um, so – the. Uh, yeah, so not to be corrective, but it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, geez. I don't, okay. I don't want an entire con to show up on your Twitter feed or whatever, and I uh, like tear you to pieces because you were. They're going to attack me. You were talking. Yeah. You were talking fast and said once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, but a long time ago in a galaxy. You knew that. You just were trying to get to your point. Um, I, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's not like I called it Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. You know, but like but same My thing. House like would be on fire by now. Yeah. So Holly, Holly, and I were same thing, man. I'm. At, we went to see Force Awakens, and we're sitting there. And to me, again, we in our last podcast, we talked a little bit about scoring and how much music I feel like is a, a, such a powerful and important part of the proper films. Like not all films need it, but a lot of films it really adds to the experience. And mm -hmm. is there a more iconic score than the John Williams? I mean, I, you know, first of all, we could do a whole podcast on him because you think about the things he's put together for like Indiana Jones. I mean, just because I think he did Close Encounters. He did Indiana Jones. He did... Um, you know, the Star Wars stuff, but like I'm sitting there, the blue, the blue letters pop up that say one time a few years ago in a galaxy around the corner or whatever. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, bum, ba -da -dum, ba -da -dum, you know, and the yellow and Holly looks at me and I'm not a misty. I'm, I cry. I mean, a I mean, I'm crying. Right. And, <laughs> and it's not, and I couldn't help it. And it wasn't even like, a um, like, a you know, it wasn't like it was because I was, but like, I just never thought that I would be sitting in a theater and get to experience the intro for Star Wars again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just never thought that would happen. I mean, after the first ones, which I was only two when the first one came out. So my first memory was the first film I ever saw was Empire in the theater. And my dad took me to Burger King after, and I got a thing, and I got a glass because with with Empire with the Tauntaun and Luke and Han in the parkas, um, because uh -huh. back in the day, you know, when you got like a kids meal, it was a physical glass. Kids, like I don't know if you know this, but they would actually give you a Star Wars glass, and you would keep going back to try to collect them all. And that was my first movie. My first movie was Empire in a theater, wow. and that was I was six or whatever it was or seven. It was eighty two, right? So. Um, so anyhow, but Holly's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just, it's like I'm, my dad had passed and it's like, I'm thinking about my dad and I'm thinking about all the time I've spent watching these things and the books I've read and just, I just never thought this would happen. And the, I just was overwhelmed with emotion. Right. And it just led me to, yep. but, but again, like I'm probably go the other, I'm a total mark. Like it would be like, I think you would just have to make a steaming pile of shit of a film for me to really not like it because I love the franchise so much. Right. And mm. like, it's so important to me. And so I tend to, and I'm like this just in life, right? If I like someone or whatever, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think I probably do that in film. And I'm sure there are probably flaws in this movie that I don't necessarily see because I love the films. I see some, right? But 
to your point, it's like mine's not the other of like it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So I just got to go run around now and talk about how shitty Star Wars is. That doesn't make any sense. To me. <laughs> well, all right. So so to bring it back to actually, you know, reviewing the film a little bit here, um, I'll tell you one thing. This this really did kind of bring me back into the fold too. I mean, the Star the Force Awakens, like I said, it was it was a great sort of retread experience. And then Rogue One, I thought was a fine war film, and I can't even remember anybody's name from it. Like, so it didn't <laughs> hit. It didn't stick very well. So right? Jen Urso is not blazed into your memory as the protagonist of Rogue One. Jen, that's it. You know, and they even have a blind swordsman, which I'm a fool for, you know, um, samurai fanatic. But either way, so, you know, and I was thinking after Force Awakens, like, OK, that was that was cool. And I think I know why you did it that way. Like, it's just kind of recycling some story ideas. I mean, you got to remember, too, um, China had never seen Star Wars movies. And so with the Force Awakens, that would the that was the big introduction to that franchise. And I'm sorry to bring commerce into it, but whatever, like I forgive Abrams and the rest of them for wanting to make something that captured the original and brought the rest of the world on board, you know, with the franchise. But However, just, I but, was thinking, but just a side note before you go. I, and again, with this idea of it being derivative, though, I felt like that's a tough task because you also have kids and people that aren't attached to it like you and I are. And I think right. it was a bit masterful because it's like, we're going to give you sort of the, the, the heart, if you will, right? Like the the idea of what this universe is all about. And we're yeah. going to introduce these new people. Well, now I agree with you. But two years ago, I said, well, I'm going to wait and see what they do with the next one. Because if they really do make something that was as similar to Empire as Force Awakens was to, you know, the original. And, and if it really is that derivative again, then... Okay, I'm I hate to sound like one of those those people, but why are we still making these if you're just going to sort of rehash what we've done? Since they took it in new directions, like I'm the opposite of those those people who don't like that they expanded and and took it in new directions. I am so relieved that that's what they're doing now. I'm with it again, you know. Um I'm a cheapskate and I will go pay for this movie again. Um I liked it so much. Not that they need my money. But um <laughs> And here's another thing, and this is a big time spoiler. I really love what they did with uh, Ray's parents. You did so. Okay, so let's talk about that. So um, let's and, just argue about that. Yeah, it's not argue. I mean, because it's interesting. Because so you know, you guys that are listening know this. I mean, basically in the film, there's a big moment where Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo slash emo Solo um, <laughs> uh, tells her that her parents were no one. They were drunks. They sold her. They just sold her for a few credits you know, on yep. thing. And, uh, so, so yeah, like that's extraordinary, but I've grappled with it a bit because it, that it almost, and I, this is stolen from Kevin Smith. Cause I've listened to some Kevin Smith stuff about him talking about the movie. Um, <laughs> it almost feels like Ryan Johnson just said, um, like <laughs> seriously, like that JJ Abrams built a sandcastle. And Ryan Johnson was the dickhead older kid on the beach that just came along and decided he was just going <laughs> to kick it all down. <laughs> um, because like so much energy was put towards this idea of like who she is, who she is. And then they were just like, guess what? Nobody. It's a, almost a MacGuffin. Like it's just, it's not, you know, like it's just not. I think it's a lot more meaningful than that. Actually, well, Help and me, was, help me. Cause this is, I struggle well, with this a bit. Well, this was one of the things that did disappoint me about force awakens. I thought, you know, if they're going to, 
keep making it like this ongoing bloodline and you have to kind of be part of that bloodline to be the lead character. You have to, to be the, the most powerful, um, Jedi, you know, and those kinds of things, then that basically precludes all the rest of us from identifying with that, you know, and it becomes like Shakespeare's, uh, history plays, you know, um, fascinating um but all that court drama is restricted to one and a couple or a couple of families and that's it you know and so i love the idea that anybody from anywhere could have this power uh within them and you know think back to when to to phantom menace when they found young anakin that should have been the point of them finding Anakin. Instead, they threw in the midichlorian bullshit and ruined the whole thing. I wonder if you right? were going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that was that was a that was a mistake. It just was, um, and so that should have been one of those times when you know if the Force really is doesn't belong to everybody to anybody, and it really is in all things, then somebody should be able to come from nowhere and, and sort of be this, this really powerful figure. And I will say it gets a little personal to me too, because where I grew up, I grew up in a really small town. Um, I w- uh, I had to be sort of bust into the, the main high school, you know, that we went to and everything like that. And I always felt like, gosh, all my friends are the sons and daughters of doctors and mm. lawyers and everything, and everything like that, you know, and my parents were not that they were really blue collar, hardworking people. And I always felt kind of like an outcast. And so I love that idea intellectually and personally that she's just from no place. Yeah. I mean, so I get that and I, and I'm fine with it from the choice. I, I guess for me, like I was the midichlorian thing. I was not a fan of either. Uh, however, and I didn't know if it was necessary about bloodline, but to me, uh, th- th- that is very counterintuitive to the idea that the force binds all things and all the things we learn from the the the, mo- the movies that matter, right? The 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 mm-hmm. the, the the first three, which were the middle three. Um, it, <laughs> but but I felt like you, it's okay <clears throat> because the idea is not so much that like can all people be competent force wielders. Right. But it's just more about. And I'd be okay if it wasn't bloodline, but also what about this person makes it so much more where it's more innate, um, more powerful, faster. Right. So, so again, not that there has to be an explanation for that. Right. But again, in the original ones, the idea that was the reason why Luke, because his dad right. was the most poor. Right. Like his old man was the. The, you know, the the most powerful, I mean, you know, arguably him, the emperor or whatever. And there's right. some level of genetics there. So, uh, you know, I get it. I just think that with Ray, the what's hard for me to reconcile is not the idea that she's just from nowhere, but this is someone that achieved levels of force control with no training, no exposure, no. So how so something has to make her different. And if that's true, then is it just because she's the star of the movie and that's why you have to do something to make her different if she's just from nowhere? It's just, <laughs> right, it's just extraordinary, right? Because she is she is doing things that don't make sense even compared to other people we've seen that become Jedi or experiment with the Force or go through the training and the old ways. and so, Right, like that's the disconnect for me. Not just the idea, just the fact that 
built into my response to that too is the fact that if they hadn't made that choice, if they had made her, you know, some relation to, you know, the, the sort of royal family we've been focusing on, that means she would have been related to Ben. I, I really was afraid that they were going to be so derivative that those two were going to be like long lost brother and sister, oh, just like that Luke would have, and Leia. And that would have been awful. Right, exactly. But, but because of the way they did Force Awakens, I've been wondering, like, surely are they going to go that route? You know, so if they would have been related in any way, I would have felt a little disappointed, you know, that they were just going that route again. But the other thing I'll say that I think is really the, the Star Wars franchise, it's always been sort of subtly inclusive. It's not Star Trek, you know, like Star Trek is this sort of utopian multicultural world and i love it for that star wars ha- isn't exactly that but it has been inclusive and so now you know part of going going back to the reaction now we've seen the real knuckleheads coming out and they're upset at the diversity in the cast and those kinds of things but here's the thing so think of how special it is for people who have you know for generations gone to the movies and nobody like them is the special one you know, mm-hmm. is the one that's remarkable and exceptional and all those kinds of things. I think it means a great deal that Ray is just from nobody. Like she didn't have to be born into. There's no heritage she had to have that made her special. Anybody can be this, you know, and think about about the uh, the supporting characters there. Finn. Oh, gosh, I'm going to forget. Um, who's who's the young woman who teams up with him and they Rose. Rose. Thank you. Um, see, I need to see it again. So with Rose and Finn, um, doing what they do, you know, all of these things, I think it means a hell of a lot to, um, to people of color that they, that they go and see this movie and see, you know, those characters put into those roles. And so that's another reason I'm, I fully endorse that choice with, uh, with Ray's parents. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, I mean, I don't, again, I don't have a problem with the choice. I think it was just the idea that it was like, it was so much, there was so much about it and it basically just got torn down in like eight seconds of dialogue. And so that was sort of the weird, it just seems like a weird thing to create, you know, to just basically unwind so fast. I actually thought just to give you what I thought I I was to you, I was like, she, please don't be related to Luke or whatever. Like that was going to be, that's so just like Uh so trope and just, ugh. But I actually thought that perhaps we were going to find out because of the advancing of the universe and knowing that Luke is basically the last one left, that it was going to be not Luke, but her her lineage would be others out there that we don't know about and mm-hmm. maybe they don't even know about. Right. So not that she's derivative, but there are actually she has a connection to other people that maybe have not realized this connection to the force that can then be brought into the fold because my whole thing is the whole way. It's like, well, Jedi and the force can't go away. Like if you took that totally out of star Wars, that would just be weird. So, but you have to repopulate it somehow. And they get to that at the end of the film a bit, I think. But the idea is maybe it's that maybe her lineage is, it's not a known commodity in the universe, but an unknown commodity that somehow creates that genetic link but they're going to be introduced as well. Like maybe it's a village of people that are unknowns that are special for one reason or another, right? Or something. Right. That's what I thought. Right. And it could still be because to believe me, they can still unwind that. We don't, we don't know if Kylo Ren was telling the truth. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, it's consider the source, right? Yeah. Um, 
You know, and one thing people ought to keep in mind, though, too, is um, the franchise was originally built very much on samurai movies. You know, it's if you've never seen uh, The Hidden Fortress, huge chunks of that first story come directly from The Hidden Fortress. And part of the thing with all samurai movies, um, you know, there's a you know, training and development of master and apprentice, um, is very important to those movies. And so, you know, they tend to dwell on, or at least a lot of them tend to dwell on, you know, what the way of the samurai is and the sort of code, uh, to live by. That's basically what they were monkeying around with, with the, with the force and Jedi training during the first part of, uh, this franchise. So do you want them to continue to make sort of quasi samurai movies? Cause they're not doing that anymore. You know, these aren't samurai movies. They're mm-hmm. space operas, and in, in you know, um, as people intend the the that you know phrase these days. And so, if you want them to be that, I just think you're going to be continually disappointed because clearly that's not what they have in mind. And I would really question, like, if you think that's what you want from these movies, I really doubt that you that's what you want from these movies. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, do you really want to go back and let's let's meditate on the force every movie should we really focus on jedi training every movie like we've kind of done that right yeah and if you know samurai movies at all we've done that thousands of times in other movies um and as much as i really love that genre um you know we kind of we kind of done it at this point so i i think it's good that they're sort of kicking it in a a different direction yeah i i think though it's interesting though about what you talk about is Jedi training and all that because I thought you're right and I thought that but here's the interesting thing about training and what we've seen it they always screw it up right <laughs> like Ben Kenobi yielded Darth Vader and then Luke tried it and yielded um, Kylo Ren and you know what I'm saying like so it's like we haven't actually seen it, it at least in in the movie canon you see it in books and some of the alternative you know parts of the universe but it just it's never worked Right. So it just seems like it always gets screwed up. And Luke didn't even finish his training. So all on the way throughout the history of the film canon, it's like training is bullshit. It either fails or the guy that doesn't finish it's the one that actually turns out to be the, you know, sort of the savior of it all. Yeah. But that's also, you know, really that's part of the training is that you, you know, you fail at a certain point and, uh, and you have to sort of deal with the guilt of your failure and the fact that you didn't follow training. That is part of the experience of, of training. And a lot of those old samurai movies too, it's not like the whole movie is just sort of a manual and we go through every step and do exactly what we're supposed to do. No, you screw it up and you don't get to uh, finish the training because, oh, there's the bad guys at the gates, you know, those kinds of things. And so even that comes right from the samurai genre. But, you know, I really love what they did with... Uh, um, you know, that whole thing that Luke does with with Ray when he points out that, you know, if the force really is something that's in everything and, every, and it binds us together, then why do the Jedi have uh, claim to possess it? Right. You know, I think there's a you know, not to make anybody mad, but I think there's a statement about organized religion going on there um, of, of, that is very timely. Of course there is. And that's the next part I want to delve into is is the deconstruction of the religion of the Jedi. Right. And, and I think there are also interesting things that we see. And again, I don't know if I'm overreading it, which tends to happen with these things. I can't act like every director's a genius and every little thing is done on purpose. I'm sure a lot of things are done on purpose, but we Johnson is a very good director. I mean, but you know, even in other films, like we've sort of seen the lead up films, this idea of the deconstruction and the destruction of the Jedi order, 
right? Like we saw the destruction of Jeddah, for example, which, you know, in Rogue One, right? Like the Death Star testing that now that was before, you know, again, at that point, the Jedi had were basically gone, right? Because Lou, but we've seen like this deconstruction of, of the order, right? Like we saw in Rogue One, they nuked this holy place where, um, you know, where Jen went to find, uh, Forrest Whitaker. I can't remember his name. Um, Uh, but you know, I mean, and then now we're seeing this and, and that's a bold, I mean, that's a big choice. And I think that's one of those things again, like, and I, I give people credit for making big choices in a world where people are going to skewer you for doing it. But that's big when Luke says that the order's <laughs> dead and even more so when force ghost Yoda shows up and exactly. burns the damn tree down. Like, and then laughs about it. I know. And, and that to me, as far as scenes, that really were like super meaty, like red meat. That's a red ass meat scene, right? When like the master of all masters, right? The guy that I, I would consider the, the the ultimate Jedi. Sure. You know, he's ta- Luke's, you know, thinking, and you think he's going to convince him to not throw it all away. And instead <laughs> Yoda just sets it on fire and right. lets you know that it really doesn't matter. Right. And that reinforces your point. Right. That this it's it's not you've totally missed the point. It's right. It's not about this stuff. That's that's the thing that really kind of baffles me about some of the reactions to like I, I just wonder, well, which Star Wars movies have you seen? You know, like what <laughs> you you clearly you've seen all of these same titles that I've seen, but you've seen a diff you've seen something different in those movies than I saw. And I think that most people saw, you know, if I think you fundamentally misunderstand the spirituality of those movies if you think that the order is what is most important, you know, all, all of those, that sort of hierarchy and everything. And, and in fact, um, I think that sort of girds the um, the the first nah, – not the first trilogy, but, you know, the, the Phantom Menace. What, what are the ones that came after? I can't even remember the – titles of attack those of movies. attack of the clones and revenge attack of the, of the sith. clones and revenge of the sith right exactly you've got the jedi who are basically like a like a council you know there it's a very sort of rigid government and i think that they but have it's almost strayed, like a theocracy it's like old school like the pharisees right which is not a good thing that's Correct. exactly right <laughs> exactly so you're you're sort of bastardizing your own spiritual core by having this really rigid religious structure. I think that they got away from, you know, what the what the the foundation of, of those beliefs were supposed to be in the first place. But isn't it, you know, let me point out something. Isn't it great we can have a conversation like this about a piece of pop cinema? Yeah, of course. This is one of the reasons that it's enduring, that it just, you know, binds us all together (laughs) or sometimes, you know, divides us all because, you know, it really is. It's popcorn movies, but there's these other elements to it that are really a little bit deeper than they seem at first. And, uh, and, you know, they're borrowed from other places for sure. You know, Joseph Campbell meets Akira Kurosawa and you've pretty much got the, the basis of this movie, but that's pretty rich in itself, isn't it? Of, yeah, of course. <laughs> <clears throat> it was interesting, though, even after all that, though, that if you notice that one of the takeaways is somehow, some way, Ray was able to save the text. No. <laughs> I mean, did you catch that? That in her locker on the Falcon, she actually saved the books, the, right. Je- the Jedi books, 
which right. again, like I think that'll probably bear itself out, but you know, there's a lot of ways you could try to deconstruct that again. It's just like, because in real life, I mean, even like uh, the tearing down of a religion or of something of that when it has gotten to a place is not easy. It's not absolute. It doesn't happen automatically. Um, mm-hmm. I think generally to the idea that just because it, we felt like it's gotten bad, it doesn't mean everything about it was bad. So can we take the good from it and throw away and shuck off the things that, you know, have become distorted. Um, right. I'm really curious to see how they leverage the Jedi text in yeah. in episode nine because they didn't burn and they made it a point to show you that yeah. she she managed to get them out of there. Right. Right. You know, the other thing I hope nobody sort of underestimates is how gorgeous parts of this movie are. Oh, man. You know, when they get to the climactic battle, I forget, you know, what's the name of that planet that they're on? Crate. Crate. What a brilliant decision to have that sort of white silvery covering and then underneath of it, you've got that red salt that gets stirred up. That makes for some really beautiful images. Um, I really appreciated that. You know, I think the whole sequence in the, in the casino is very important to the franchise too. And that sort of reinforces uh, the decision they made with, uh, with Ray you know, that whole sort of jailbreak. Like the haves and have nots kind of idea. Exactly. And money being a thing, which has never really been, you've had sort of Jabba and it was really like a vehicle for story, like bounty hunter owes me money, but it's never shown with opulence. We've never seen money be portrayed like this in star Wars ever. Right. 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 But it totally makes sense. You know, with the, 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 where the money comes from, that completely makes sense that, you know, these people make it from arms dealing. Of course, there's been this war for how long in this galaxy? Well, here's, and that's crazy too, because again, like I think Ryan Johnson thinking outside the box, my assumption all along was that the empire slash the first order was such a massive mechanism that all of that weaponry, they just built themselves. But now they've yeah. basically said, no, no, there's actually this, there is a economy, right? Like, like in the real world of these people right. that are enriching, enriching themselves by selling these weapons, which are responsible for so much misery in the galaxy. And there they are in their absurd, you know, casino in the <laughs> mountains, you know what I mean? Gambling and drinking and doing everything. It's, it's a poignant and again, that's a scene that people beat up because again, they were. I heard people say, "Oh, they just have to try to find some way to do a content a cantina ish scene," or you know, they sort of threw it away as like it being like the you know like most Eisley kind of thing. And I'm like, no, no, there's a super serious statement being made here about we've never seen money like this, and we've certainly never anyone's never indicated that there were people that are selling arms to the Empire or the First Order. Right. Like that's a massive story point. And yet one that should have been there all along, if you really think about it. I mean, hasn't it always bothered you? Like, okay, how do you build a Death Star? I mean, (laughs) really? Where do the materials come from? Oh, and wait, they built two. Come on. (laughs) I mean, there's got to be some sort of economy and trade, you know, backing that up. And they've just never explored it. But, you know, here's another thing I'll point out about that uh, casino sequence, too. The film geek in me was loving it because – that introductory shot where they push, they track into the casino. Remember that long track? That is straight out of a 1925 movie called Wings. Oh, okay. Look it up. Yeah, they. It's you know, this is Johnson showing that he knows film history, and so I, I, I thank him for that. In the middle of this this movie, like, oh, he does know his silent film. So what's the? <laughs> There's a lot of references in it. What's the what the the what. W- 
in that movie, is it just that style of shot that's unique, or was there some kind of thematic theme that in Wings that was similar to? It's mostly the shot, but you. The fact is, here you are in the middle of uh, wartime, and it's a similar situation where the soldiers are out partying, and you sort of have this brief glimpse of um, sort of opulence, you know, because Wings was like an early blockbuster action movie. You know, that's not what most of the movie was was about. Um, it's one of those movies, like if people think they hate silent films, that's one of them. I can say, okay, just check out wings. Just give me, give me 90 minutes, you know, and check out wings. And that helps to sort of change their mind about it. Cause it's boom, boom, boom. It just, it's a, it moves right along. And so, yeah, in the mix of all of that action, you do have this sort of respite where the, the soldiers get to party up and everything like that. There isn't a similar political statement being, being made though. Mm. Yeah. When you say wings, I think about Lowell. I know. <laughs> totally different. But um, I'm not super, I'm ignorant um, to, you know, my silent movies from the 20s, unfortunately. But now I want to check that one out, so I have to go see if I can find it. Um, but yeah, um, well, and before you mentioned the, um, you said something else about, before you mentioned the, um, the casino, there was another scene. Um, oh, the, 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 yeah, so on Crate. Um yeah, and I think it was actually the salt on top, and the red was the was the ground underneath. It just was salt gotcha. covered. But um, but also, what an amazing decision is those shitty, um, little speeders or whatever they found in order to remain stable had to be connected to the ground. And they even right. explain it when Finn is can't get control of the thing, and they're like, "Put your whatever down." I don't even know what he said, and that's what creates those tracking. You know, when they're zooming around and you see like the stuff flying up behind them because they made it so the speeders have to be connected to the ground, which is actually what creates that amazing visual. And it's such a little thing you think in a filmmaker's, but that doesn't work if you don't have some way to see all those those lines. And it also really reminded me of Tron. That's what I thought about when I saw it was the light bikes and Tron where all the light bikes come out and you've got the walls, you know, that come out behind them. Uh-huh. So I just yeah, thought I, I thought, oh, he must like Tron. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't Be think great. about wings, yeah. but I thought about Tron. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so um that that was uh that was great. I mean, and uh I'm trying to think back um again, like kicking over Abram's sandcastle. Like I thought the way that Snoke was disposed of was <laughs> just um I mean, it was so almost unceremonious. And again, in this case, I get it's a it's a totally a vehicle for Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, whatever, um, to you know essentially go. I, I'm I've had it with your bullshit like enough already. You know what I mean? I'm not going to let you sort of kick my ass around anymore. Um, right. And it was beautifully done. Like I thought, like the. I really thought the one of the cool shots for me, again, not understanding like necessarily about how to set up a shot, but where you had the in the foreground real close, it was just his side with his hand. And you could see sort of the slightly blurred throne in the background. And he's mm-hmm. doing this and you can kind of see it. And then it cuts to the lightsaber and you see it turning. And the whole while Snoke is just bloviating. You right. know what I mean? And that, which is also like almost on purpose, but the old trope of like the bad guy that talks too much. Right, the monologue. <laughs> I mean, right, and uh, and just what a like bad at, again, like in a, where we've seen everything, like what a great way to take a guy out, right, and um, a use of a lightsaber we hadn't really seen 
Um, there was that, and there was the the moment when Ray basically throws him his lightsaber. He's being he's in a chokehold with the Red Guard, and he just turns the thing on and puts a hole straight through the you know. Yeah. And so they found new ways to use these old props that have been around for so long. And uh, I thought that was one of the best scenes of the movie from start to finish. Agreed. You know? Agreed. I did. I did not love the Red Guard costumes. Um. Because I felt they were a little cumbersome. I know they were trying to redo the Red Guard from the original, you know, like those were the Elite Guard or whatever for Always For. But I felt like if you're going to make them ninjas, like let's put them in something that's a little more functional. You know what I mean? Like it, it seems. You don't think it's believable that they can move like that? No. In, uh, and I was just costumes. like, wait a second. Like, <laughs> hold on. Um, but um, but also, too, I thought like from an, an arc standpoint, and again, unless I just read it wrong, like I felt like maybe for a minute we were seeing Ben turn, right? right. Like we were seeing Ben turn to Ray, right? And right. and and I thought first I'm like, oh shit, she's gotten through to him, and now they're gonna team up and take out the First Order. Because mind you, another thing we can talk about real quick, which again, like I don't know if I love this choice. You have to tell me what you think. You know, Sto- Snoke basically emasculates him in the meeting in the chamber earlier when Hux is in there with him and it's like, well, so let me say this. I think it was again, just F past star Wars. It's like, and take off that stupid mask. Right. Like that's just, you just the, I mean, let's be honest, right? If we're going to talk about iconic imagery in the history of film, the Darth Vader mask, that is as close as you're going to get to, you know, like the right. Wailing Wall or, you know, the <laughs> the Burns Eye Cross or like any of these things, right? Like these are, and he just shits all over it. He's just like, you know, take that stupid helmet off, right? right? And it's just like, that's so dumb. And it was a thing that was supposed <laughs> to be, you know what I mean? Like it was supposed to be there. And then, and then Kylo Ren destroys it in the elevator, like leaves it in a heap on the floor. And I just thought, like, well, first of all, I thought the mask was kind of badass, and like, I think it adds to the villainous. So I thought it was a really interesting choice to destroy it. It was also a really interesting choice to basically just shit on the idea of a mask when your entire franchise, <laughs> when the greatest villain almost in the history of film, is is identified by a mask. So I'd be interested to what you thought about that whole sequence. I don't know that I have anything more to say than what you just said. I mean, I'm kind of right there along with you chuckling about the choice um although i kind of agree with snoke too i mean in, in a way so so he's still ben you know he's still kind of a kid um and so you know he's still playing at being darth vader you know he's really trying to be to become that and he's forcing it you know by by wearing this mask and so i think it completely makes sense for him to sort of chuck it um it's very important for the storytelling for that section of the movie too, because we stop seeing him behind that mask. We see his face a lot. Um, he and Ray have these intimate conversations and his and chest makes, occasionally. Adam driver who knew, right? I mean, well, he was a Marine, so. Oh, not okay. that surprising. I didn't know that. Oh, so side story. If you didn't know that it's actually great. And one of the reasons I like him as a, as an actor is, is some projection human. So yeah, he was a Marine. He went to, um, and was serving and I, I don't know the exact story. He has a Ted talk about it, which you should check out, which is really interesting um, mm-hmm. about his, how he went from being a Marine to being an actor. 
But um, he got hurt, I think, and then um, had to get discharged. But he was always really into, you know, the theater. And so now he actually started a nonprofit where they take plays to to bases all over the world. Wow, that's great. And the arts. And it's like, it's not military themed or whatever. It's just these guys are in these terrible situations and there's so much great positive stuff in art. And it's something that you wouldn't think a soldier would think, like, why would I see a play? And but it's very impactful, and he's trying to just put it in front of them because they don't have much, and it gives them a chance to expose them to the arts. He's an extraordinary guy if you read any of his backstory. But if you YouTube it, it's just Adam Driver. I was a Marine, or it's, and it's a TED talk about sort of how he went from actor to Marine, or from Marine from Marine to actor. So yeah, so he's not a um, he's been he's not a he's not a schlub. <laughs> I mean, the guy was yeah, an no act, an active duty Marine. So, anyways, right. so um. But also, wasn't he like searching for? I mean, I think too. Again, this is a theme that's been everywhere. But it's still that idea of like searching for a father. You know what I mean? Like he didn't. You know, Han was right. mostly absent. I think he latches onto his grandfather. You know, which is Darth Vader, and then Snoke served that role. And then again, that guy just failed him. You know what I mean? Or at least you know did whatever. And I almost feel like too, like his turn moment, which was which going before I went back to the mask, was. I had this moment where it's like, oh, Ray's going to break through. And then, and I thought too, like some of the camera, like I love, it would be a great poster when he kills Snoke and they back up to one another and the lightsabers come out and they're surrounded by the elite <laughs> guard. Like that was just a cool shot, you know? And sure. And uh, then you're like, oh shit, like he's going to be, you know what I mean? Like they're going to go, you know, take out whatever. And then they kill everyone, and then he goes, then it's the rule of the galaxy together, and you're like, no, damn it, he's not turning right. at all, like, he's just decided he's the man, like, he's decided that he's, I don't need no father no more, I'm just gonna be the guy, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, well, he's been failed by three different father figures at that point, so he's done with that now, right? Yeah. <laughs> just gonna just gonna move on, and yeah, I mean, but that scene doesn't work without the way that they set that up, you know? in several scenes that led up to it, you know, all those conversations that they had, you know, and getting rid of the mask and, and all of those kinds of things. That's why that scene works so well that you actually, you know, I thought it was very doubtful that, you know, Kylo Ren and, and uh, Ray are going to, you know, save the galaxy together or something like that. But you believe it just enough, right? Yeah. That kind of, kind of takes you through the, that range of emotions in one scene. That's hard to do. That's a good, that's a good sequence. Well, I think too, what I've, what you've seen in the movie that are so such departures from what you expected, like that was part of the thing that made me believe it might happen. Like, because it just doesn't yeah. seem like, but it's like, shit, they've thrown the rule book out. Like at that point you realize the rule book is out. The, they thrown that out of the millennium Falcon, right? Like that thing yeah. flipped out the window. So, um, so Abrams is doing the next one, right? Correct. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see what what he does. And he EP'd this, so you know, I mean, clearly he was a. It wasn't like you know, Ryan Johnson was. I mean, I'm assuming there was communication. I mean, especially as much as Bad Robot and all that's involved in the whole thing. Um, right. So, so I doubt. Again, when I say that he just kicked over Abrams Sandcastle, I don't think it was malicious, or that you know he was like taking shots at Abrams. I'm sure that Abrams knew what was up. But um, sure. It's just him deconstructing a shitload. The other thing too is like. <laughs> this ties into earlier what you're saying in our other podcast about um about funny and using humor like i think they did that they tried to do that a fair amount in this too to do some funny parts but again just like forget it's this just recurring theme of forget everything you've seen so far um 
the whole thing with the lightsaber and at Maz Kanata's and she finds it and she has the force visions and the whole thing, it's Luke's lightsaber. And that obviously is such an important part of everything and whatever. And she gets there. And the first time they get to Achto, which is the Island he was on, um, and they get to it and she hands him the lightsaber and he just chucks it over his shoulder. Like he just is like, don't care. <laughs> it was just like such a critical, like again, such a critical part of the story in the first movie. And Luke's just like, ah, I don't, it, this is, what is this? Yeah. I don't, you know, it's just such a funny well, don't, moment. Don't forget though, that, you know, you can just use the force to, pick it back up from that cliff. So, well, she went, no, well, she, I know she went and got it, but I mean, it's just the idea of him just basically just being like, and almost not even too that. It's just a thing, but it's no meaning. I mean, that was his father's lightsaber, right? That was, that was Anakin pre Darth Vader's lightsaber. That was his lightsaber when he was, you know what I'm saying? Like that, it's not like yep. that thing is just like, you know what I'm saying? Just some random, like a kitchen knife, right? That thing has, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's attached to that thing, right? And, but, oh, yeah. But again, it goes back to his whole, and I think there was amazing foreshadowing, and I thought about it after the fact. Um, but in that sequence where they're in Snoke's chamber after they've beating anyone, is there a whole monologue or that whole sequence about Kylo Ren talking about, um, the, um, about leaving the past behind and if you can't kill it right so that's when and i'm like well mission accomplished because ryan johnson has been killing the past like this entire like so far like the whole movie it's like every time we turn around he's kicking over some you know something from from before (laughs) yep um yeah i think I, i really do i think it's this is the first time in a long time that i've been genuinely interested with where they're going next uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There was also, I think they did some great callbacks like, um, uh, and I think this is something people that notice. And again, I may be making things up and overanalyzing, but if you recall when Ray is on the Island trying to convince Luke to train him, she goes to chase him and he goes and milks that weird thing and <laughs> drinks the drinks that bluish green milk. Right. Yes. So here's the thing. If you recall in new hope, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, they drank bluish green milk. That's what they had. And that was always a funny thing. Like, what's this milky bluish green stuff that they're drinking on Tatooine? Right. And I don't know if that was on purpose, but it seems odd that there would be a blue green milk that Luke would drink. Considering (laughs) when it all started in that little hut, they had blue green milk. (laughs) I think you have to listen to the director's commentary to see if that comes up. I know. I mean, but it's just whatever. So let's talk about what I think for me was like the heart of the entire movie for me. Right. Like if you, if like, if there's a scene that to me was like the, the essence of the film, Skywalker goes to the Millennium Falcon. Right. And mm-hmm. it was emotional a bit for me to see him on the bridge of the Millennium Falcon. Again, just it's sort of like the thing. It's like that's such a, I mean, to to think what that went through and what he did on that ship, and then he's on it again all the forty year, all these years later, you know, and the right. di- he grabs the dice, and he goes in, and R two is on the thing, and when you really think about it, and I think a lot of people think about Star Wars, and about Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. But not to get too sort of out there on analysis, but Star Wars is really, without R2-D2, 
there is no Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the vehicle that carried Leia's message. He carried the map, you know, for them to find Luke. Right. He he and and even on the little thing when the Jawas capture him and Uncle Owen and Luke go, they buy the droid first and that droid's putz is out and they get R2 is just the second, which is this interesting thing about how fate, I think there's some stuff in there about how fate works. But if if they don't pick up R2D2, there is no Star Wars. Right? That right. is the whole thing that kicks this whole thing off is the relationship between R2 and Luke. And right. him talking to R2 in that moment alone in the Falcon was like such a because that's it. Those are the two that really kicked it off. And then, and I love a callback anyway, like I just, you know, whatever. But then <laughs> when he's trying to explain to R2 why he's got to stay out of it and he plays the original message of Leia, right? I just thought like, I, again, like teary moment, like that, the, because that's it. Like, first of all, the whole thing with Carrie Fisher was hard, just knowing she's, yeah, she's gone. But like that, but that moment, I mean, just like you're looking at, the genesis like they're basically replaying for you the genesis of the entire universe yeah is this interaction of r2 and luke and the message from leia well and for me that sets up you know you ask what i think the essence of the movie is i you know this isn't like reaching real deeply i think the essence is the very last scene where you see luke you know and so the scene that you're talking about foreshadows that i mean here we are coming completely full circle for for that character um, you know, so much of this franchise is, is, you know, rests on Luke Skywalker and, you know, for all the other characters that, you know, people talk about Leia and Han, and I think more little boys want to be Han than, than Luke and yeah. those kinds of things. Cause he's the rebel and whatnot, but you know, it all rests on Luke and this whole idea that they are, they spent the force awakens sort of replaying things. Now they are killing the past, just chucking the the past and going into new directions. Well, it really kind of makes sense that Luke would die, you know, would, would pass on. And so now they've brought his character full circle. And I tell you, I welled up a little bit oh, yeah. in that scene when they come back, when he's meditating and looking at the, at the two sons setting again, a call know. back to Tatooine, right? Twin exactly. sons, right? Exactly. Just everything, you know, the, his whole story is bookended in those two two moments, and so I thought that was a, a really wonderful way to end the movie. But you know, well, you know, Force Ghost Luke, Force Ghost Luke is oh sure is coming, right? So sure, he's the new Ben. Yeah. You know? So, but I think too that for me, and, and of course they also tied that up with when when the great scene when Raya, 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 <laughs> Ray and Leia. Um, talk and about like you know about they know knew Luke they could feel that Luke was gone and um and she goes but and when Ray says it's different I felt peace right? right and um that was obviously an important part of the thing but again what an amazing choice by Ryan Johnson right first of all <clears throat> and this is again another thing to just throw away when they're talking to Ray at the beginning and she's like trying to convince him to fight. He's like, what am I going to do? Go kill the first order with a laser sword. Right. He doesn't even call it a lightsaber, which is like the TM, like little <laughs> TM, right? That's the whole, 
Like back in the day, I want to say that laser sword was like the knockoff lightsaber. If you couldn't afford like the Kenner, you know, lightsaber, they had this thing called a laser sword. Like again, you wouldn't even say the word. Like it's that's just that is a really interesting piece of writing for them to use that, right? Because that is just a back in the day, that would they would never let that happen. Someone would be like, No, 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 you have to say lightsaber right here because that's what they are. Right. Right. TM, right? Trademark, right? You need to say lightsaber. And yeah. And then you get to that scene, and I'm thinking, okay, what's going on? Because he goes, what am I going to do? Take on the whole first or- order with a laser sword. And he walks out of the doors and crate, and then, like, he's about to take on the whole first order with a laser sword, right? Like, he just right. said it didn't, but he didn't. And that was the point, right? So the fact that it was a force projection, and that the whole time he's still back across the galaxy forever on Octo, um, Right, he was honest the whole time, right? And it, he's like, I, you can't mm-hmm. kill the first order with it like that, right? That's not how it works. And it was great because I thought for a minute they were going to have the whole strike me down bit, and we were going to see, you know, what I'm saying like the Obi Wan death, right? When right from the first one, and you know, but see you around, kid. Like that was a, you know, like that was a pretty serious line for the end of it when he just disappears. And, and, and again, especially considering the whole time, like they talked about Luke being the spark, thinking that the spark would be Luke's going to come back and fight, but no, 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 it's actually, he is still the spark, but it's in a totally different way. It is in a different way. And, um, you know, and look, if you're playing, if you were paying attention, you know, that there's no damn way he could just show up inside that cave and everything like that. So you had to know something was up, right? Um, (laughs) And, and another thing, you know, those people who complain about, you know, sort of all the old elements being gone. Well, again, no, they're there. They're just played out a little bit differently. So they make us believe he's going to, you know, go the way of Obi-Wan. And instead, you know, it's something else going on. But, you know, he even says to Ben, um, if you kill me, you know, you'll carry me around forever. However exactly he says it. That's a, that's a teacher to apprentice moment. And mm-hmm. that's a protective moment from Luke toward Ben. So even then, you know, he's still not treating him like the enemy. He's, he's doing, you know, whatever he can to help his, his friends, but also protecting this, this kid who used to be his, uh, his apprentice. And I think, you know, what you see is Ben, I mean, uh, Luke, you know, he, he gets to die like Yoda did earlier on. You reach a, a certain age and you reach a certain level of enlightenment and it is a peaceful transition into another kind of existence. Yeah, there's a certain sort of Buddhism element, right? This of, of sure. wait, is that Buddhism with Nirvana and that whole deal? Like, you know, this idea mm-hmm. of you find you the final the final the final level, his hands glow like in the last dragon. Um no, um <laughs> so um uh it, Yeah, it was, and it was just him being able to go out on his own terms and Talk about a great piece of acting. Like, I generally don't like to comment on the craft. I mean, I'm I, acting is actually something that fascinates me, and I wish it's something I've done in my past because the idea, because I see great performances and I recognize them for being great. But, like, it always occurs to me, and you can speak to this better, but it feels like to me, film, especially close up shots where there's no dialogue, is super hard if you're an actor, right? Because you're trying to give everything without the benefit of words, like you're emoting and you're just doing all that. And um, just to see his face with the sun, I just uh-huh. felt like that was so right before he went. I, th- I felt yeah. like he gave you, you know what I mean? He gave you kind of a lot yeah. in that shot. 
Well, listen, Mark Hamill has gotten has become a much better actor over over time. You know, if you go back and watch um, the nineteen seventy seven film, uh, that's not the greatest performance you're ever going to see on celluloid. You know, <laughs> um, but I think what he what he understands at this point is you don't have to do a lot. You know, this is the thing with with a, a close up. It, it's kind of hard for a lot of actors. You don't have to project toward the back row like you are in the theater, and you're not even using you know anything but your face. But the thing you don't want to do is mug. You know. Um, you don't want to overdo it. And so I, I think, um, yeah, I think that was a really good performance, but it's a, sort of one of those non-performance performances, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think <laughs> he the, was, he was welling and you saw like kind of a, just a look of acceptance and like, yep. it's okay where I felt like he still was really, I felt like he was still really conflicted when Ray showed up and I feel like not to draw back on an old thing, but I feel like the conflict had been, you know, had been released. At that right. with, with him at that point, so a couple things, and we've been going a while, so I'm gonna I, I'll let you get out of here. Um, one thing that I think is really interesting is is since Ryan Johnson has been tapped to do a new trilogy, like I wonder <laughs> if how many seeds, you know what I mean, have if he planted seeds that would effectively help set up whatever conceptually he's thinking about about this other. And I honestly think the young, so at the end of the film, you know, when the kids come out and the kid force grabs the broom. You know, and it's showing you, to your point, like the stable boys. So we're back to this thing again about these virtual no ones and the downtrodden, which are capable of becoming powerful people. Um, If that might be part of it, like, you know, their story and how people that come up and become the new whatever. I mean, I don't know. But again, like I I would assume he's doing something to help, you know, where he's got an idea about what he wants those stories to be. Sure. Yeah, he's a very good writer, uh, a very thoughtful writer too. And I, and um, and so I don't know if you've have you ever seen his first film, Brick? No, no, I read about it, but I need to watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would very much uh, recommend it. So I sort of discovered him when that movie came out years ago. And one of the things I've always liked about him is um, he has always put his scripts online for free. You know, so many um, people try to, oh, cool. you know, safeguard our, safeguard those. And so reading his script, you kind of get a sense that this is a very intentional filmmaker, you know, a very thoughtful guy. And so, you know, with the scene with those kids at the very end, that could be just showing us that, okay, well, more people are going to start buying into the rebellion again. Or you could be exactly right. Who the hell knows? That kid may be the focus of the the trilogy he's going to get to do. You just you just don't know. But it, but I I got to think that he does have an idea of what he wants to do with it or else he wouldn't have wanted to do a, a new trilogy or, and the producers wouldn't have let him, you know, <laughs> that, that, deal, <laughs> that deal, that deal wouldn't exist. And right. so that clearly they do have plans already. And it's going to be, like I said, again, I'm really curious about what's coming next. And, and it's been decades literally since I said that about the star Wars franchise. Yeah. And, and to your point, like I, I just, I really like Abrams. I generally like the things he does. I, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, cause originally it was supposed to be three different directors. And then for whatever mm-hmm. reasons, Abrams has decided to, you know, jump back in. Um, right. but it's going to be cool. One last thing I want to mention a scene just that I thought was probably one of, for me, like one of the coolest, well done scenes I've seen in a long time. When, when Holdo jumps to uh, jumps to hyperspace and cuts the dreadnought in half, that was so sick. I mean, like, 
and and there's no sound so in space there's no sound and just like the whole thing that was just i thought that was super cool and to your point like there's a lot of visually beautiful moments in the whole film and to me that was like Again, the no sound choice was amazing. The way it looked, because it wasn't just like you, like when you see explosions in space, which we know is not true, couldn't happen because there's no oxygen, so you can't fire. But you know what I mean? Because there wasn't. It was just this light thing and it, the thing splitting in half. That was pretty damn amazing. Yeah, I, I thought that was a really great scene too. Um, you're, you're right. One of the better executed scenes of the whole movie. Um, and I love a novel use of, of sound. You know, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a given in most movies, you, you know, people don't really experiment with, with sound and it's so important. So that was great. Um, and I, I just want to say too, this isn't a movie, you know, without flaws, you and I've kind of gushed on it. This, this hasn't even really been a review as much as talking about what we really loved about it and, and, and everything connected to it. Um, the scene where Leia pulls herself in, I think oh, yeah. was kind of questionable. I mean, you know, look, Star Wars doesn't exist in, real space but you're in freaking space and even in guardians of the galaxy people die if they're out <laughs> in open space for a few minutes or for a few seconds so either way um that was kind of hokey and, and there are some other things but ultimately what i keep coming back to the reason i'm just sort of being forgiving with with so much of it is exactly what we we just keep saying you know they've they've managed to actually build expectations for the story it's not just the experience of going to see a Star Wars movie and sort of replaying some of the things we already love. Let's see where they're going to take it next. You know, I think they've done a better job with the TV series than uh, with the the movies uh, on that count. So it's really nice to, to to sort of be back at that point. Yeah, and you know, like I said, the reality is, is people complain, but here's the deal: this, it, the next one will do to eighty billion dollars or whatever it's going to do. Like people are going to go see it. Like that's sort of the. I mean, again, what an amazing amount of latitude, I guess. I guess there's probably a tons of pressure because if you're a filmmaker, because you are you are holding the the wheel on a really, really expensive, classic, one of a kind car <laughs> and you can certainly wreck it. But I do think that it's hard to wreck it. Right. I mean, because people I mean, again, like if if the if the Lucas second trilogy didn't kill it it's unkillable, <laughs> right? Like that's the, point. If, if you can't, I mean, if that it's the Terminator, right? If that didn't do it in nothing will. <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, I do. I'm excited. And, and to your point, like I, the more I think about it, and especially now more that we talked, I was, okay, I was always, I was okay with the choices before we had this conversation. Now I think I'm more about, yeah, you know what? It was radical. And, that's what it mm -hmm. needs, right? We can't just keep, yeah. like you're talking about, about the Marvel movies, like you can't just keep telling the same story over and over again, especially in a universe as rich as Star Wars, right? right. Like there's just, there's, there's reams and reams of stuff, right? That's out there. And then it's literally an endless amount of, inside a world that's already been created, right the true thing is if you know just someone comes up with the next blade runner like something that you've never seen before but inside right. a world that already exists it's a pretty it's a pretty infinitely broad landscape right yeah. to be able to do and that doesn't always happen either right like we again we see it in some of the marvel films and in that case too like people always have to try to stick to the c comic canon you know they run the risk of departing too far away from 
the story that hasn't happened yet. Like the good news with Star Wars is at least all that stuff happened in the past. So we're in new territory. Like in comic books, if they right. do something with Black Panther, like it's already happened before. So if you go sideways from what's been in the comics, you're rewriting history. This is new history. And I think people need to be excited about the idea that we're seeing a new Star Wars history and get out of the get out of the muck, right? Like get out of the to your point, like get out of the bits right. and bites and just try to enjoy what's being told. Right. And yeah. and what it could be, because that's the beauty of it is, is nobody has an effing clue. Like, especially after seeing this, it's like, well, what are they going to do next? I have no idea. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'd, I don't always, you know, uh, give so much goodwill toward big blockbuster movies, but this one I think earned it. Yeah, definitely. Well, man, thank you so much. This was um, super fun. Both podcasts. Um, we should do this more often. This was uh this was uh this was excellent. I love talking. You know, I love talking about movies. That's why I like getting your ear every time I see it a thing. And you're like, oh my god, I just want to, <laughs> I just want to watch the screening. And Sean's over here in my ear about, have I seen Wind River or did I watch whatever? So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so I apologize for that. But you know, you're just fun to talk to. I like talking to you. So likewise, you know, <laughs> here we are at the end of the movies. It seems like we should uh, we should talk about the best of 2017 at some point. Uh, we should. We should probably even think about maybe just having a movies only podcast and just doing that, you know, separately, because I can be the person that doesn't know anything and you can be the one that educates me. It'd be beautiful. I could be your <laughs> I could be your Padawan. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, so thanks a lot, man, for sticking around. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We could have talked about tons more, obviously, about this movie. Um, it, clearly if you've listening, you've seen it. Um, I want to see it again. If you decide to go, let me know. I'll meet you. Cause I want to actually see it in IMAX. Cause I saw it on regular screen the first time. But, um, uh, you know, if you have questions, shoot them to us. I got comments on the podcast. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Dr. Jeff would, uh, also maybe if you send us a few questions, we could jump back on and podcast again, short, and maybe address a few. Um, but, uh, thanks for sticking around. Um, and I usually sign off with until next time, press on. But in this time, I'm just going to say, May the force be with you.